I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Smashbox TV's podcast 441. Yeah, that's what comes after 440. It's 441. I am your normal host, John Van Ders, and I am joined tonight by... Uh, a, a, a new co-host. We're not getting rid of the old guy yet, but he is over in Thailand. Terry Miller notified me earlier today that he was not going to be able to join us because he's, I don't know, chasing sunsets is what I think I saw on his socials a um, couple hours ago. But we're here with Dustin Morat. Dustin, welcome. Welcome to the show. I know I made it, man. I was in the chat, <laughs> you know, for two years and I'm the guy who made it. So that's right happy to be here every once in a while I just, I just pluck someone out of the chat and they're my new co-host that's that's how that's how this works so sorry terry we're gonna get rid of you and we're gonna we're gonna pick up dust um actually this week dustin i think i saw you do your own youtube thing is that is that right did i see i know you were doing some work for those of you that don't know uh dustin comes from uh an esports background i think you've done some CS:GO, some valorant streaming Probably other first-person shooters that I don't even know. I barely know those two, to be honest. <laughs> but um, but you come to us from the uh, from the esports background. You jumped in a couple of years ago and chatted with us, and now you're you've been doing some things with the Pro Tour and whatnot. Kind of fill us in on what's going on with you. Yeah, so you pretty much hit the nail on the head. I you know have an esports background. Uh, been involved in esports for I think over ten years at this point. Uh, mostly as a commentator, but I've done other roles within the space. Uh, you know, I think most people in esports eventually wind up doing a little bit of everything. And uh, as you said, I started with the Counter Strike franchise, and then uh, Counter Strike Global Offensive is the most recent version of that game, which came out in 2012. And so I worked on that game for ever since it came out, basically. Uh, but I kind of pivoted into Valorant about uh, two or three years ago, uh, and I'm doing that now. Actually, we just started the new season for um, for Valorant. Uh, f- you know, the the actual Riot League. Uh, Riot Games, of course, being the company that made the game. Some people made League of Legends, if you're familiar with that. Um, so, yeah, we actually just got started last week. 
Uh, so still involved in the esports space. But yeah, I got involved with some disc golf stuff last year. Uh, I hosted a show called The Scramble that was on the Disc Golf Network. It was like a tournament recap show uh, that I did the scripting and voiceover work for. Uh, unfortunately, that got put on hiatus for this next year. So not sure what's going to happen going forward there. And I also worked for Gatekeeper last year. Uh, I did the MPO feature and chase card coverage uh, with Gatekeeper for pretty much the entire year last year. Um, so, yeah, was able to kind of get into disc golf pretty quickly, actually. I was a lot, I was kind of surprised that I was able to get involved with so much stuff so fast. Uh, and I'm just hoping to to keep doing so. Yeah, I mean, honestly, with, with media, we're, everybody in this arena is looking for talent. Always. I mean, whether it's especially reliable talent, because if you know anything about disc golfers, they they're not always the most reliable people. <laughs> they're very busy. They've got they're on the road. You know, they don't necessarily always have great Internet connections and things like that. So sometimes it can be difficult to to get someone who's reliable, who knows, has as I joked with you on the way in, has a good microphone, a, a steady camera and things like that. Those those are surprisingly valuable uh, on the road. So it, it was nice to see. Uh, it's not it's always nice to hear a new voice come into the sport. Um, and, uh, and, and so now you are, uh, if I recall, I think I saw some posts today that you did a new disc golf video. What's, uh, what, what is, I didn't get a chance to watch it yet. What's the, what's the, what's the concept on this? So, yeah, uh, basically when I got into disc golf a few years ago as a hobby, I also started a YouTube channel just for the heck of it. Cause why not? Uh, and a lot of the content on my channel is just mostly me playing, whether it be like fun rounds or practice rounds or tournament rounds even. Um, but I also started getting involved elsewhere. Uh, like I'm a part of that new debate night show. That's kind of like an around the horn style thing. Um, doing that with uh, the foundation crew. And I also just kind of decided, decided to do something similar to what Terry did with that drop zone thing that he's doing on his YouTube channel, which is where I just kind of sit down and talk about disc golf for a little bit. Just talking head, going through things, giving my thoughts. If people like it, cool. Uh, and just see, see how it goes. You know, basically I'm just trying to, do everything that I can, you know, to get involved <laughs> in the space and, um, you know, just kind of take those steps. And so that thing is just kind of like the next thing I'm trying, you know, to see how it goes. No, that's great. If you've got a if you've got a unique voice, I think that uh, people will show up at some point. I think, you know, a, a lot of people I've, I've watched a lot of things on in general, YouTube, uh, YouTube businesses and things like that. And there there's one side of the atmosphere that kind of says hey make sure reliable every you know and that's kind of what we have always done for the longest time every week same time same spot get something out there and then there's the other people that are uh you know just as successful that say you know what quality it doesn't matter about quantity make sure you hit your quality it can be every two weeks it could be every three weeks as long as your audience kind of has a general idea and the stuff that you're putting out is of high quality the people will they'll sub They'll join, you know, you'll get that. So I think that there's obviously valid points either way, depending on how you want to attack it. But in general, I, I believe that if you have a unique voice and a good solid take that mm -hmm. uh, the people will end up showing up for whatever you put. It, se it seems like that there, you know, there's almost an insatiable craving for disc golf, whether it's talking heads or event coverage. You know, as long as there's a name that they can recognize or someone that they can talk about, uh, people will show up. Yeah, I think for me, like right now, it's about building credibility within the disc golf space, right? Because while I have lots of experience, a lot of that is in an area that most people in disc golf are not familiar with at all. Um, there is some crossover that I've found with, you know, randomly people from esports, you know, following disc golf or vice versa, but it's pretty rare. Um, and so I think that's like the biggest thing is just trying to get my foot in the door, establish myself, you know, let people know that I'm not just, you know, 
kind of blowing through the wind that this is something that I'm actually really <laughs> passionate about and want to be involved with long term. Um, it's not like I'm just trying to like jump in because, you know, it's it's a hot commodity after COVID and all that jazz. Like, no, this is something that I truly fell in love with. And I just want to be able to take whatever skills and experience that I have and hopefully bring it to the table of disc golf and help out in some way uh, just and just be a part of it, you know, because that's the dream, right? You know, you find something you love and you want to work in that thing. And I think that's what we're all chasing after in the, in the end, right? And then you grow to hate it. It's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> well, I haven't gotten there yet. Hopefully, hopefully no time soon. Yeah, I'm, I'm like 25. Don't worry. You'll, you'll get there. You'll get there. No. Um, no, honestly, you, you know, you, you're right. Find something. And that's obviously what we did here. It's, it's funny because I'm on the side right now. Obviously, I've got a lot of different disc golf fires in the iron. Irons in the fire. That's the word I'm looking for. Fire, irons in the fire. Not fires in your iron, but that would be different. That, that's, that's a household issue if you've got a fire on your iron. But so I'm I'm building out a, a website for Skip Ace for the fantasy disc golf stuff. So, you know, obviously we have the actual app that that works and it's great, but I want to build up more of a front end. We've had some people kind of say, hey, I'd love to, you know, rather than just logging, showing up and signing in, I want a little more information. So I'm kind of building out a little bit of website, a history. I was going through the history of Skip Ace and how long I've been doing it for. And I was thinking like, yeah, like I've been doing this a long time. <laughs> you know, I remember literally sitting in my college, my senior year of college um, with a with a with a big red notebook and a, and a piece of blank paper, just sketching out how online fantasy disc golf would work in 2001. And wow. okay. yeah, it's a long time, long time. <laughs> and so just uh, kind of doing that out. And then I went to the Wayback Machine and I looked up, I used to have the domain fantasydg.com, which now Udisc owns of all, of all people. It, it got passed oh, around. Man. It got passed around a little bit. Um, I had that from like 2002 to 2014 or something like that. I think I let it expire in 2014 because I just, I, I was done with the fantasy sports at that point. I had a family and we were getting into the media business and it just wasn't going to be anything I had time with. Somebody else was, so somebody else immediately picked it up, grabbed it, built a website it lasted less than a year and it failed. And I think they they maybe let it expire and then Innova picked up the website domain and then I think Innova ended up selling it to Udisc and now Udisc has one of my old domains. Uh, the other old domain that I had was Disc Golf Stream where I was looking at that and it was going to be back in the day, I think it was 2010, it was going to be the Netflix of Disc Golf videos before YouTube was a thing. Like, wow. I, I had... I had burnt off all these dvds from maple hill and i had a whole collection of them and i was ready to go live with it and then youtube came out and i kind of lost a little bit of passion i'm like oh, people can just up people can just upload these now for free why would anyone pay to watch these you're uh, a little which, bit ahead you're a little I was bit ahead little, of the game i was a little bit yeah. ahead but that's okay better better to be ahead sure. and 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 then you know at least i didn't really spend any money on it, it was more time of anything so and that was disc golf stream which is now run by the european pro tour they yeah, took yeah. that they took that domain after I let that expire, and and definitely. So the rule is, kids, if you ever register a domain, don't ever let it expire. Never. There Just keep go. them forever. They're super cheap. But it's uh, it's it's amazing how long you know when you're in the sport for this long, things can get things can get old. But uh, who's? It's uh, we're getting close to the season starting though, and this is the exciting time of year. It's it's kind of the dead zone of news. Other than a few random tournaments here and there, everybody's getting ready for what's going to be the all-star event and the disc golf convention or whatever they're calling it. And after that, there's a week or two, then we get the season. We get 
uh, Las Vegas Challenge, which I'm actually, <laughs> I wasn't going to be doing it much directing this year, but uh, working with uh, one of the other guys who now is doing a lot of directing, he does a side gig as a cameraman for uh, the Blazers, the Portland Trail Blazers uh, basketball basketball team, obviously. And so he's busy this, you know, he asked me, hey, do you think you could cover? I was like, for, for sure. So I'll actually be doing a little bit more early in the season, a lot more in the end of the season. And in the prime summer months, I'm doing nothing. Which is great because I'm going to play a lot of I'm going to play a lot of disc golf this summer. That's my goal nice. is just to actually play and ignore. Are a you going to try of, to make a comeback to the tour? Like, is that? Oh God, is, not is the JVD not the, on his not way? the pro tour. Maybe the Wisconsin tour. I, I'm I'm going to try to. Why not? The, you're going to go to the Masters by, tour or something? The Cali um, McMoran one? Yeah, I don't think it's. I don't believe it's coming to our area. I'll have to take a look to see what's going on with the Masters tour. But my goal well, you could is just be one of the other 50 people who can play in that Facebook group then. Uh, I'm not, I, I avoid most, uh, I'm trying to get rid of a lot of Facebook in my life in general, but it's a good, uh, I, it's I do, a good move. It, it is social media in general, but I do still have uh, the skip base thing out there that I, I'm right. Literally this morning. So I woke up and like most people, you know, I get up shower, sit at breakfast and I was scrolling through Facebook on my phone and I think I counted 15 straight ads. Oh yeah. It's, like, it's bad. Just 15. I was like, okay, I'm done. Like just. I if it down. wasn't for disc golf, I wouldn't have Facebook. That's that's exactly kind of how I feel right now. Yeah. Too. If it weren't like, for disc golf, it, I wouldn't bad. have. I, I, it's that bad. I always want everyone to start a Discord. Messenger's now. okay. I mean, that's kind of nice if you don't have someone's phone number, get in touch with somebody. It but, is. Yeah. It, it's a good it, way. It is just ads. It's a great way to communicate. It's just a, a load loaded ads. But um, we're going to talk a little bit about what went on this past weekend. We were talking about uh, some disc golf coverage, and for those of you in the know, we. Uh, we talked, or we saw on Sunday night the Disc Golf Pro Tour had a, a, a an ESPN two video, so to speak. I, did Did you get a chance to watch that, Dust? Very brief glimpses of okay. it. Like I didn't actually get to like really strap in for the whole thing. Um, but certainly I was kind of like watching the chatter about it. And this is what like the third time I think it's been on ESPN and. The fourth time it's been on television, I think, in the last, what, year and a half or something like that? Yeah, something around there. Yeah, because I think, what, CBS or one other network had Mm -hmm. DDO one year. And then, yeah, we've had ESPN a couple of times now. Um, So, yeah, I mean, uh, it's certainly neat. Like, I'm kind of torn on it, to be honest. Um, But but I'll I'll let you kind of take over before I I give any opinions. I didn't watch it. I'm not going to lie. And I think that's part of it. I mean, I don't have, first of all, I don't have cable. So to, exactly. to, to watch it in general would be a uh, uh, a, a slight pain. And I, I could find it. There are there are methods. I know people. I've got connections. <laughs> um, the last video, uh, whatever special they had on ESPN, I talked to one of the guys at the Pro Tour, and they sent us a private link for it so we could kind of stream it on our side just to, just to view it. But I, I'm not going to lie that I kind of ignored it. And I, I kind of feel like at this point... I'm a little over it. I'm a little over disc golf on ESPN. And I, I don't know. I'm involved with the live aspect of the pro tour. I say this a lot. I don't, I'm, I'm not involved with any, any sort of post-production. I kind of bucket this in a little bit with post-production stuff. I don't know what the pro tours goal is with these things other than maybe a little bit of exposure, but for a, a person who consumes a lot of disc golf in general, it just doesn't interest me anymore. Like until yeah. we, I feel like until we can get live on ESPN or ESPN two, probably ESPN two. Let's be honest, maybe ESPN plus. 
I don't know. Exactly. That yeah. that's that's the ticket right there. And that's exactly what I was about to say was that I think, you know, right now us being on ESPN2 like we were this past Sunday, as long as it didn't cost them anything either way, then fair enough. Like why not? Like maybe it exposes us to a new audience, maybe some people just happen to flip through, catch it. Oh, what's this? Disc golf, what's that? And like maybe you grab some new eyeballs that way. That's like the one benefit I could think of. But just as you said earlier, you know, cable television's going by the wayside. The future is live streaming. The future is these apps and these different like subscription services, whether that be a Hulu or a Netflix or an ESPN Plus, so on and so forth. That's the real future, though, for disc golf in ESPN's ecosystem is to maybe one day have that partnership with ESPN Plus where that's where it's being streamed instead of being streamed on the disc golf network, for example, like maybe there's some partnership there or something. I think, I think that's the future. Like if it was me, I wouldn't invest a single dollar in getting disc golf on ESPN. If I'm the disc golf pro Tour. I think it's a, I think it's a waste of money in my opinion. Um, like I was shocked because it wasn't it dynamic and a bunch of companies came together to p- and paid CBS for that spot. Yeah. Like, it was, I, I thought I that was, was bonkers. I think it was six figures close to that's six figures bonkers. to get, and I don't know if that included all the production and everything, but mm-hmm. yes, that the or the, the the CBS deal was a whole separate thing that uh, that was really unique and different. Um, and I hope we never see it again, honestly, because <laughs> I, I just don't think it's worth it. Um, I mean, there's, I, I, there's maybe there's the first a, couple of times it was kind of neat for exposure, but like mm-hmm. now the, the the future is live streaming. I think that should be the focus. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't mind. Again, it all depends on what it's costing. I mean, clearly it's not free because they have to put together these pieces. Uh, Ray on the board is saying how a lot of it looked like it was the on-tour footage that they kind of cut together and maybe created a an end of year and then the DGPT wrap-up at the, the championship. So if, if you're not paying a ton, because if, if this is already done, and you're not paying a ton to get it done, and honestly, this is not a bad week. If you're going to pick a weekend, this isn't a bad weekend. You had a little bit of basketball, and you're in the dead zone for NFL. So mm-hmm. you, you know it's it's Pro Bowl weekend, which nobody cares about. Even the players <laughs> that are in the Pro Bowl don't care about it. I think I saw a quote by Josh Jacobs, uh, the running back for the uh, Raiders, who basically said, "This is effing stupid." Just the way they're handling the Pro Bowl now, um, mm-hmm. it's it's a skills challenge, mm-hmm. but. So this is a good weekend to do it if you're going to do something like that because you've got sure. you got nothing going on. But I agree that if if the cost is too much, then I think that it's a bad investment. If you're not paying anything and you already have most of the footage, then I don't mind it. Sure. But again, it's not for us. You know, you're right. you're looking to probably pick up the casuals, maybe either your casual disc golfer who happens to browse upon it, or just your non disc golfer who kind of peeks in and was like, "What the heck is this?" Like, oh. These guys throwing frisbees in the woods. All right, let me watch this. And maybe they get a little surprise. Maybe they follow it. You hear the same thing about when people stumble upon a Jomez video that don't know anything about mm-hmm. disc golf. And it, it's a, it can be a compelling pro- product. I do wonder if it like adds maybe a bit of legitimacy to like your deck when you're pitching a sponsor. Like, hey, look, we were on ESPN. Um, like maybe there's some type of behind the scenes benefit in that regard, maybe. Um, but I'm not like some type of business guru, so I wouldn't really know. But like you said, I think it's one of the things where if it's low cost, if it's like not too much effort, then yeah, certainly. But like TV's not the future of disc golf. And I don't think that anyone should ever really have that idea in their head. Like the future is where we're already headed, you know, which mm-hmm. is this, you know, live streaming service. Now, how that evolves over time is a completely different story. Who knows? Right. Um, exactly. But, and yeah. for someone like like Barbasol, maybe who was the sponsor of the pro tour finale, 
this could be really nice for them in the future because their name is all over it. They didn't have to pay anything extra to have it done. So maybe you can sell that as a bonus ad. Now, unless they knew about this, which they probably did ahead of time, this might have been part of the sell for the finale to Barbasol. Um, I don't know if it's a chicken and egg thing. Which one came first? Was sure. you know, do you do you sell it to Barbasol saying that it's going to be on ESPN two, or do you get it on, or do you get them for bar, for the championship and then bonus the the ESPN two coverage? So, ugh, like I said, you and I both agree. At some point, I mean, we all know live is the future. That's the way it's going. That's the way it's going to be. It's just a matter of when or whether or not we're going to get uh, anything with ESPN in the next. I mean, it's kind of funny because I know the production inside and out for live, and I feel like we do a really great job for um, the Disc Golf Network. I don't know if we would do a great job for ESPN 2 or Plus. It That's a whole new beast of things that you need to actually uh, think about because there's there's all sorts of different requirements when you go to a... A, a, a TV streaming system versus just the online stuff. And I, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that one. So I think like what's more than likely is some type of partnership in the mm-hmm. future with a subscription service, like an ESPN plus type model, where maybe it's somehow simulcasted or, or maybe some type of deal gets struck on certain events, maybe being on ESPN plus or something like that. Like, I think that is the more likely long-term mm-hmm. partnership if there were to ever be one between the pro tour and, and espn um but again you know it, it's it's one of those things where it's not like there's nothing wrong with it like you know if people thought it was cool and they enjoyed it and if it somehow did bring a couple of new eyes to sport and it didn't cost much then yeah cool beans but i'm more interested in seeing the future of live and, and where that's headed you know whether that continues to be a disc golf network exclusive whether that continues to be a subscription service or whether there's a movement in a different direction like those are the things i'm more interested in uh seeing evolve in disc golf uh, personally a uh, side note to this talking about you know your history with um commentating stuff have you ever done commentating stream that's been on a major cable outlet yes have you where uh so i did e league which was on tbs and that was in 2016 for kind of strike global offensive uh it aired i think for two seasons i was only a part of the first one and then i think there was like a couple of other like little one offs that happened outside of like actual seasons um, but that never really, I think, went the way that TBS hoped because obviously like they weren't hitting the viewership numbers that maybe they thought they were going to get because again, it, it's, it's the same situation with esports mm-hmm. is people are used to watching that online live stream on Twitch or YouTube or whatever that case may be. And so to try to ask that audience to migrate and watch it live on TBS is a really tough sell, um, for the mass audience that actually does really care about it. And what they wound up doing was that it was almost simulcasted where they had the full broadcast on TBS, but you could actually still watch the match, just the oh. bare bones, like gameplay and commentary, but you wouldn't see like all of like the cool graphics or like the cool side content or any of that stuff that was all on TBS on TV, but you could still watch the match on Twitch. Um, and so that's kind of how they got around it where they could still kind of keep the core audience happy, but, still have a product that was unique to the television experience. Um, And I'm not sure whatever really happened with that, to be honest with you, (laughs) but clearly it wasn't successful enough because it no longer exists. Um, And again, I think it's just the same thing. Like the, the future is live streaming. It's not to be on TV. And I think for 
esports wise, that only would have worked if there was some type of TBS like online streaming service or something like that. I think. Um, but but the problem you have with esports, which is very different than disc golf, is that everything's free, right? Yeah. And so if you're a viewer and you ain't getting to watch it for free, you probably ain't watching because that's what you're used to. Um, yeah, it's a total culture difference in that disc exactly. golf. Disc golf. I mean, we never. Uh, live was never free it post-production has almost always been free depending right. on the event and you know you go back through you know way back to the early 2010s and some of the post-production was paid but that's like a whole different that's i, I consider that a whole separate you know web 1.0 or 2.0 pre-youtube kind of um where that does, i don't really count that but once youtube came into effect post-production has always been free so the fact that you know when you when DGN wanted to start charging for even live was free for the longest for for a little while. Um, And now that the disc golf network has kind of pushed the culture of disc golf live into a paid model. um, It's different. And I don't know what it would. I was trying to think of something while you were talking about how that could work for esports. You would have to have almost like a new like we'll take like the Valorant League, something really big. And they'd have to start out that way. It would have to be a popular hit a crazy popular game immediately to go right into that, like a, or like a league of legends that wanted to do something, uh pay-per-view. And I, I can't imagine like, there. I, I, yeah. Know. There were some attempts. I know with like the overwatch league, as well as a couple of other things where you would get like the bare bone stream for free as you would normally would for any esports tournament, whether that be on Twitch or YouTube or whatever the case may be. But then you would pay like a monthly subscription to get like, kind of like almost bonus features like you would get to get like maybe additional stats and like other assets at your disposal or you could play like kind of like armchair producer where you could kind of control like what camera you watched as opposed to like whatever the mainstream was showing so they would try to do like these pay-per-view models where all of it was like bonus stuff like it wasn't the core product it was all like additional features that maybe you think would be cool maybe like in-game cosmetics or like a special badge in your chat in the chat room next to your name or, you know, those, those sorts of things have been the attempt in esports as far as pay-per-view goes. But it's kind of a funny story that, you know, esports and disc golf, you know, are, are on the opposing side, right? Where esports is basically a free to watch model and disc golf is a pay to watch model and both clearly have their pros and cons. Um, and obviously the pro over on our side of things is, well, you know, there's no barrier to entry. And so the viewership can be really high, but then the problem becomes, well, how do you monetize that? Because people aren't paying you anything. Um, and then so that that becomes a very tricky scenario. On the other hand, with disc golf, you're getting guaranteed money from the people who do subscribe. But how many more people would watch if it was free? You know, and is it like a build it and they will come? Are you going to rely on sponsorship and advertising dollars? Are you relying on consumer dollars from your your customers, your audience? Like it, it, it's a really murky water situation trying to figure out like what the right solution is there. And esports is struggling right now. Like I, like it's very obvious that people are struggling to make money. I think a lot of esports right now is actually afloat due to like venture capital and uh, like huge valuations. Um, and it's, it'll actually be interesting to see how esports survives long term once some of those come back to roost and want to return on their investment. Yeah. I mean, as you know, for a lot of people that follow any sort of business right now, things, you know, the, the stock market is doing that's very similar thing with a lot of the tech industry. It's no longer how much can you grow, it's how much can you show. You know, that's I, I, I want to see bottom lines. I want to see this, which is why a lot of stocks right now are kind of are, are, are dipping. So if esports is in that same position where at some point they're need to start showing a profit, you're either going to have to get more sponsors 
or your or find a way to monetize the the person which is what disc golf is doing you know if that that's the argument can you know why are we why you know a lot of people say how come you charge think of all the people you'd get if it were free and you're right you might get another 20 30 percent people to watch if it were free but then you need to monetize outside and that's a lot that's really difficult especially right now you know with the way with the way the economy is it's really difficult to to monetize outside of yeah, the, I mean the, the sponsorship the and advertising dollars would have to be there to supplement the mm-hmm. loss you're going to take by losing all your paid subscribers. And maybe there is a halfway system at some point for the Disc Golf Pro Tour where maybe you do still keep a paid subscription service, um, but and those people get access to more stuff than the people who watch for free. I mean, you're kind of already seeing that, right? Where y'all show the final round for free on YouTube, right? Um, and, and so that is kind of that halfway, and that's the most important round anyway. That's what most people are like wanting to truly watch. Um, so yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it evolves over time because I think right now this goes in a place where I think if you got rid of the subscription model, the viewer base isn't high enough to get that all back on a sponsorship end, at least right now. You know, now whether that changes over time, who knows? But I think I think you'd be hard pressed to completely change your financial model, like just that quickly that rapidly and think that it would be successful you'd be taking a hit yeah we're gonna see what the next couple of years comes and and shows us that's for certain because i think you're right i think that maybe the hybrid model where you get the, like the first three rounds like we do now as a paid and then hopefully we can kind of sell that last round either to espn or some major sponsors and advertise the shit out of it i don't know or like, maybe you get to you a know? point where you have enough infrastructure to have multiple streams mm-hmm. like one is like the lead card only or something and maybe that's free but if you want to follow the other cards that's on the secondary stream you know but but it takes time to get to that point it, to have the infrastructure to support that mm-hmm. um and so i'm sure it's always going to be kind of a back and forth on what you give for free and what you make people pay for and how you market it all and like i said on these sports in almost no one's profitable and and again, like I'm going to be very curious to see because we're already seeing lots of layoffs actually in esports right now this year on, on how that's all going to work out. Because, again, everyone is expecting things for free. No one wants to pay any money. Well, someone eventually has to pay. Right. Which so, is which is really funny. And I know we're kind of sidetracking here. There's so many people right now that are doing streaming on Twitch for esports that are making money and it's off of people. It's a lot of well the twitch version of super chats you know the emotes the subs and things like that and and so people are willing to pay it's just what what type of content are you willing to pay for are you willing to pay for the the personal interaction you get from you know one person streaming versus watching whatever your favorite team is stream with you know a hundred thousand other people or is it more like no it's me and these other just me and these thousand people right now that are dead set on this particular personality it's a really it's a really interesting spot to be in exactly because like you said plenty of people are willing to like pay individual streamers but they're not going to pay a tournament organizer you know to watch a stream that they already get to watch for free because they don't get any real benefits that way and that's actually why you've seen a lot like in the esports side of things um we've seen a lot of it turn into watch parties where you're starting to see tournament organizers have their official stream that they broadcast on their official channel, but they are allowing select partners to co-stream that tournament, provided that they show all the same ads and all the same graphics and all that jazz. Like They basically just get the same feed that the mainstream is showing, but they are watching it with their community 
And mm-hmm. so then all of a sudden you get to expand your viewership numbers because now you get to start taking all of their stats and adding it to your deck and then you're pitching mm-hmm. that to sponsors. And so that that's one of the, I think, big developments that's happened in esports in the last year has been that, the co-streaming aspect um, and, and using that to b- boost your numbers, basically. that's Yeah, that's a really good idea. And it's something that, you know, with me doing less broadcasting i may do i may actually do a few watch parties this year for some events you know on final days youtube free ones kind of talk to the pro tour and see what uh what we can do with that because i think that could be a lot of fun i know that we've done that in the past with a few other personalities i know simon did one when he was injured and uh we've we've done it as long as you're not stepping on i think the pay-per-view model i think it's 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 a pretty good it's a pretty good option for for some people it, it you know it can bring people in so yeah we've seen some watch parties in disc golf but they don't actually show the correct like actual footage like they're just showing like a mm-hmm. maybe like a you live scoring like thing while they're just kind of talking and i think that that is like a, a good first step in the right direction but i'd be curious to see the disc golf pro tour would be interested in doing something like that just as, like if that would help their numbers but that's a little bit harder when that's a paid subscription service versus like a free product like it is in esports that's a completely different ball game so mm. I'll be interested to see, you know, if, if that could be something. Yeah, I don't think you would. I don't think you could get away with it. Well, let me put it this way. You couldn't get away with it on a private stream like a, or a, like a Smashbox TV channel on one of the pay-per-view days. But I think the final day where they do put it out on YouTube, I think that I think there could be something that would work out. Yeah, there. sure. But yeah, uh, yeah definitely. Um, well, there was a little bit of golf this weekend. Not a lot. We had uh, we had really one big event. There was a few big AM events, but the one that we saw out in Arizona was the Maricopa Open. And this is an event actually that Terry, I think, has covered a few times, but not this year because, as we said, he's out chasing sunsets or something. Um, <laughs> uh, the big news, I guess you want to call it, is Anthony Barella gets his first tournament win with Discraft Discs. And... You know, we all say it's the archer, not the arrow. Uh, it was just it, pro- it was just going to take a, a, a few moments for him to probably dial in a few of his discs out on the Maricopa course where there's not a lot of. Uh, we'll say not a lot of shot shaping happening, and uh, it, it's it's a relatively open course. You can throw almost anything you want as long as it hyzers. And, you know, I, I've always said, even for me, who's a 930 rated golfer. If you if you hand me a disc and you tell me it's overstable, I'll make it work within, you know, 10 shots. It's just a matter of what angle do I throw it on. And when someone with the talent of AB, you know, he, there's no shock that he ends up winning this one uh, over Andrew Marweed by three strokes. And then Adam Hannes was uh, what looks like 10 strokes behind Anthony Barella uh, tied with Connor Rock. Fifth place, Nick Hansen and Albert the Bazooka Tom. So Albert's in town, kind of getting his game warmed up. I know he he came back from overseas a couple weeks ago, I believe, already, just to get into the uh, into the you know into golf shape. We'll say because from where where he's from, you're not you're not hanging out outside too much this, no. this time of year. No, definitely not. No, definitely not. Um, and then in FBO. No surprise. It's her ground. It's her her palace. Jennifer Allen. It's, a, again, a, a wide-open course. Not that she didn't have good competition. Six strokes behind her was Kat Murch. Kat Murch, yeah. who was, you know, seven ratings points ahead of her. That's almost a stroke around, depending on the, the course SSA. 
and and Jen Allen kind of just says, "Not in my hometown." Throws down three pretty good rounds. Uh, she's nine fifty four. Her first round was a little under her rating at nine forty two, but then she bumped it up to nine seventy two and nine sixty nine. So she averaged it looks like just above her rating to to take four hundred fifty five dollars home and beat out Cat Merch. And both Jen and Cat are going to be touring this year. Um, I think Jen, as we talked to her a couple weeks ago, a little less than your cat Merch, who should be on the tour full time. But I think you're going to start seeing some of these warmer events, your Florida events, your Arizona events over the next two to three weeks. You're going to see a few more big names pop up as they're as they're kind of getting warmed up. Have you noticed anything out on the socials about any of the the, the players? I know. A lot of people follow on Instagram and everything about these these people kind of getting warmed up and getting ready to go for the season. Is there a is there an excitement for the upcoming tour? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, I think a lot of it is like definitely in the Florida area. I think you're seeing it quite a lot. I think Paul McBeth's already played a couple of events, didn't he? Like at the end of last year, and I think I don't know if he played one officially in 2023, but I know he he played some extra events like in December or something like that uh, out in Florida. So. There's definitely some of that. I know um, Matty O is like from my area, so he's, I think, maybe going to be playing like uh, a local event here or there, Um, although Vegas is coming up in a few weeks. I'm not sure if he's going to be able to actually get into anything before then. I think he was meant to play one event, but it didn't didn't quite come to fruition. Um, But yeah, I mean, it is one of those things where it's like, you know, the All-Star Weekend is kind of your our official thing we have for the tour before the season starts, but that's not really the same type of competition as like really getting your feet wet playing uh, one of these types of tournaments. And certainly, you know, especially for a guy like Barella, who's trying to get used to a new bag, you know, that that is worth its weight in gold to be able to go out and have like that type of tournament pressure on you, uh, that type of official event. Then um, I, I do think that AB is going to be a force we reckon with this year. Um mostly because he gets to focus on disc golf pretty much full time this year. If if I'm not mistaken, I know that he was kind of in and out of like doing school last year. And I think he's still doing like maybe some online schooling this um, year. Yeah, some online school. Point is he can focus more on disc golf than he ever has been able to before. And we know he's got the raw talent. So if he can actually get the reps in the practice and, and, and like get the mental game sorted, like the kid is one of the most gifted like athletes we have in the sport as far as like what he's capable of doing with the disc. Yeah. He's Eagle to, to me. He's Eagle caliber. If yes. he can, if he can is and very similar to Eagle early in his years, Eagle had a little issue with consistency. People bagged on him a little bit for wooded courses. People bagged on him a little bit for just general focus and, and a little bit of a, we'll say a hothead on the course. As we know, he had the USCGC incident where he punched the ground and ended up, you know, breaking his hand, you know, and AB hasn't shown you that type of passion in an eco sense almost, but I think AB has the same, I mean, he's the same body type as, as Eagle and AB has just as much talent. Um, All AB really needs to focus on is a little bit of his putting game, I think, and the mental side of it, being comfortable in that lead position, because it feels like he gets it's almost every event you can kind of count on it where he gets to that uh that that first card and then falls apart has has those two or three just monster holes where he takes you know a a double or a triple bogey and knocks himself off the lead card onto the third card or something along those lines i think if ab can really clean that up i it wouldn't shock me to hear that ab wins two elite series this year 
So it's uh, it's you know, and and that's hard to say that anybody can win two elite series because other than probably Ricky and maybe Eagle, there's so much competition out there. I mean, you, know? you can definitely see the trajectory for AB. I mean, like when you kind of look back like 2021, 2020, I mean, he would maybe get like the occasional top 10 finish at a pro tour event. But last year he had multiple finishes within the top five at elite series events. Um, you know, I'm thinking about like Ledgestone and OTB, for example, uh, and had several other events within the top 15 and top 20. So he was he's progressively getting more consistent in his results at the top tier tournaments. Like you can always count on the guy to be super strong in his local scene in Arizona. Like, I mean, he's always doing those things and, you know, obviously he's always like a a dark horse pick at an open course, but I do feel like you have seen the steady progression. If you just go back and look at the results, look at how much he's cashing, look at where he's placing on the disc golf pro tour at the biggest events. And every year it seems like there's that steady climb, a couple of placements higher than where he was the year before. And now I think you can even throw some more accelerant on it by not having that that same like school responsibility that he had before. Um, you know, he's fully touring with Adam. I think they're riding together everywhere. They're going to Europe together. Like it just feels like that dedication is there. And I think that just craft picked him up at like just the right time. <laughs> like that was such a clutch pickup to like get the guy right when he's like ready to come into his own. Um, and yeah, I, I definitely am with you. I would not be surprised if AB won an event this year. I expect him to be a consistent top 20 player this year. It's hard to make me feel bad for the big guy, but I almost feel a little bad for Innova. Like Innova has sponsored AB for how many years? All through his you know high school, um, pre-high school, through middle school, high school, college. The last 10 years, I believe he's been with uh, Innova. And just when AB's ready to kind of, I feel like, go on this big tear, he takes a step away. And I know we've talked to some people behind the scenes that know Innova pretty well, and they don't usually fight for players. If you are a player on the Innova team, for the most part, if you tell them, hey, I'm going to go somewhere else, they kind of have a notion of, all right, good luck, we wish you the best. You know, they don't usually fight to keep players they fought to keep a b and lost i hmm. they, i know there was there was negotiations quite a bit going back and forth because i think innova yeah. sees the potential in a b just like discraft does well, i mean just like any of us do so well, i think if you're innova eventually you have to keep somebody you know what i mean like you can't keep letting them fly off the shelf and, and that's why you know calvin probably did get the deal he deserved to because if innova would have lost heimberg i mean you would have lost like the main guy for your MPO team that can actually get you on the podium on an in and out basis. Um, they also did huge, by the way, being able to keep Henna and Evelina. Like, I think if they would have lost one of those two or both, that would have like really crushed them on the, the FPO side of things since they already lost Maria. Um, they have Cat Mersh as well, I guess, and a few others. But um, yeah, I think Innova's at the point now. I think they're coming to the realization like, look, like, yeah, maybe we can afford to let a few go, but. There's not a lot left to let go, like on the end of a side of things. Like you got you got to start fighting now. I think this was the year that they finally did it uh, by keeping Calvin and keeping some of those FPO players. Yeah, they kept Calvin off the uh, off the free market by by signing him in you know in the fall to not let him hit that hit that option. And you're right, at some point you need to start keeping some players, and because Innova is a little bit weak at their top end. You know they've got a lot of great names. You've got Philo, you've got Sexton, you've got Germ, those are all great names, but they're not names you're seeing up in the top 
very often. And we'll see what happens with Sexton, who's going to be touring a little bit more this season. And he's he's Mr. Consistency. So if, you know, it wouldn't shock me to see him take a bunch of top tens this year either. Sure. Maybe even maybe even pull down a, a, a win. I'd say a little bit later in the season. I, I don't see him really probably taking taking down one of the big thrower courses. It's just not his style. But you get to the to the West Coast, kind of the the Pacific Northwest, maybe where he's from, as well as the East Coast. Nothing would shock me to see Nate Sexton uh, pulling a win. But you're right, Innova just doesn't have the MPO top tier. Now they've, like you said, they've locked in their FPO, and I'm excited to see what uh, Evelina and Henna can do this year. I mean, it's just the putting for them, and I feel like that's been the story for a while. And you feel like if that could somehow get solved, like if there's just like a magic wand that took that out of the equation, like those people are hunting after Tatar every weekend at mm-hmm. that point, and then all of a sudden the top five of FPO becomes like crazy parody, in my opinion, if they can sort that out. Yeah, on the course, uh, Robert Lester, I, you're right. I missed out. Uh, Bradley Williams, as well, is one of those top-tier Innova guys. Yeah. And he's, Joel Freeman. You can throw that yeah, in there, too. Yeah, you're right. Joel Freeman, as well. Joel is Joel's funny because he's sneaky. Like mm-hmm. he, you, you don't feel like he's... Rarely does anyone pick Joel Freeman to win, but he's such a consistent like fifth-place finisher. He's always fighting for third to fifth place, but you know the occasional chance at a, at a win, but what what a... you know. And I would say Joel Freeman even over Bradley Williams. Bradley has been he yeah, got the he got the wise. yeah he got the win last year at the Preserve. But other than that, you know he he, he had a good couple of weeks and then kind of vanished a little bit on uh, on the tour. And by vanishing, we're talking top fifteens. You know, just barely yeah. out of talking points. You know, these are such competitive events that that you can't uh, that it feels like you know we put such weight on the top five. And if you're not top five, we don't even think about you. You kind of you kind of forget about these uh, about these players that uh, that have a chance to win and they don't. So, what else do we have going on in the sport? Um, we're looking at. Well, I know you and I talked. Oh yeah, uh, we saw a wedding this weekend down in Texas. Congratulations to uh, Valerie Mondahano and Mason Ford. Uh, and we say Valerie Mondahano because I believe it was asked, and she is keeping her last name of Mondahano. Um, I don't know; I haven't checked any uh, state legal records. I don't know if it's an official name change or name keep, so to speak, or if it's just going to be social disc golf social, like we saw with uh, Val Doss Jenkins, who obviously Val is her last name is Doss, but for disc golf purposes, she kept it as Jenkins. So I'm not exactly sure what Val is the other Val Mondahano, if she's keeping that or she's going to go with Ford for all her legal documents. But I believe for disc golf, she said she was going to keep Mondahano and, and kind of go from there, which makes a lot of sense for branding purposes. And, and uh, you know, she's, she's kind of built up a name. I, I think, and maybe I don't know, but I would speculate that if this happened, two years earlier she might go with the you know publicly go with a ford name but over the last year she's really made a name for herself and to keep that is uh it, it can be it, that that can be some significant cash you know your brand no i think that's a, like a really fair point i think you're right because i mean her breakout was last year with those two wins and like being a consistent like top 10 player throughout the course of the entire season and you know i think 
everyone who was like a like a hardcore fan of disc golf knew of the Mandahano sisters and like knew what the potential that they had and had like a vague idea of like who they were. But there's no doubt that what Valerie did last year was nothing short of like a breakout year for her. Um, and then that's why she got the big deal from Discraft. That's why she, you know, dynamic couldn't keep her. You know, she was a player that proved that. And and Holland Hanley was basically identical in that regard. I think they're ranked right next to each other. Um, and, and both made the same exact move from dynamic to Discraft. And so uh, I think you're right. Like Manahano, that is a name now that has like a punch to it in the disc golf space. People know that name now. Um, and, and so I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I'm fortunate that, you know, <laughs> Terry usually fills me in on a lot of the upcoming women that he sees when he travels around the country and does a lot of filming for other events. And he had, I think he had filmed Am Worlds when the Mondahano sisters were out there. If I remember, he might have the only footage of that one of uh, of one of them winning the junior world. Maybe it was junior worlds when they won. I'd have to go back and look for sure. He'd be able to tell me. But so he he when he comes back, him and I always chat and he tells me he's like, you know, he told me about Holland Hanley. Before she obviously got signed by DD, he's like, man, there's this girl out there. She's phenomenal. She crushes. He's like, I think she's going to be a real player in the game. I was like, oh, that's awesome. He's like, I reached out to DD and this and that. And he helped kind of start to get that arrangement. You know, getting those names out early has always been, uh, I've always been privy to a, a little bit, just, you know, a few months ahead of the curve, thanks to Terry and a lot of his coverage. So, and he, he warned me about the Mondahano sisters. Uh, way back when, when they were kind of tearing up the am scene and he was covering them. He's like, yeah, both of them, they're going to be phenomenal. He's like, they're, they're more or less trained by Bradley Williams. They've got the smoothest throw. He's like, if they can just at the time they were ams, if they can just get some consistency, they're going to go on tour and they're going to win. So mm-hmm. it's, it's exciting to see some of these uh, players that I've watched or seen on coverage from Terry over the last God, five, six, seven years start to really shine same with missy gannon i think i think terry was one of the early ones on missy gannon as well so yeah i'm, I'm kind of curious to see like who's next like i think stacy haas from mvp is kind of one that is a, a young up-and-comer that had mm-hmm. some good results last year that i think could be like another M- fpo player excuse me that like could break out next year um, I also think Stacey Ronsley is like a player to still keep an eye on. Like she may not have had like the craziest results last year, but the athleticism and, and such is like the eye test passes for me. Uh, and now that she maybe has like more support with the whole cast of Plast switch sponsorship, like those are kind of the names I want to keep an eye on as like maybe the next FPO player to like have like a really big breakout year or something like that. that, that those are the two that I'm, I'm kind of rooting for. Yeah, it's funny that you mentioned that. Um, I was talking earlier about kind of putting together a, a website for Skip Ace. I was actually writing a few quick articles, just filler stuff for to kind of when, when eventually debut the website, just to have some things on there. And one of them was three FPO sleepers this year. And I think that I think the three that I mentioned were Allie Smith, a DGA sponsor player who won Am Worlds last year. She's only been playing for three years. And she is uh, she's got a lot of potential to move up, to move around. You know, she's she's early in the career and she's going to start touring. You've got uh, God, who else did I have on there? I had Allie Smith. I had um, did I have Aria Castorita, who was the rookie of the year last that's year? A, that's a good call. And, and she yeah. she's got she knows how to win. I mean, mm-hmm. there's um, uh, Annika Steed. Is another one who's kind of sitting in that nine thirty range, and for the first time ever, is going to come over to the tour. I don't think she's going to jump up right away and 
and start winning. But with the, it's kind of a, there's a little bit of debate about the European ratings and whether they're pushed down or compressed because they don't get a chance to play against the the top names. So if you have a, a European player that's maybe a 920 rater, 930, they might really be closer to a 940 or 950 when they come over here, start competing, get to get a bigger pool of points, so to speak. So we might see someone like uh, an Annika Steed come over and and really play well. And the other one I'm excited to see is, uh, Sayananda, who I yes. think Sai has, has always been a really consistent player. And I think for she's a s- ninja, she's a she, ninja because she, she, she won't a play a lot of events, but then she'll just sneak into one event like mm-hmm. us women's or yep. something. Then she'll just like place top five out of nowhere. Or just like who, who is Sayananda? And, and then before you know it, she's gone, she's not playing anymore. And it's like, she just kind of pops in and out. But, I do kind of wonder what like this new West Side like sponsorship, which is kind of because she was with Latitude, correct? And then she sidesteps. Then I guess to West Side sounds she right because she basically takes Erica Stinchcomb's spot uh, essentially mm-hmm. on West Side. So I do wonder if like maybe that's and and she's on their like top level because like you know how they have like the tiers yeah. of teams. I think West Side's is like Warlords is like their highest tier. That's the one that Maddie O's on. So I think Sayananda was put on that team. So hopefully that's a sign that she's touring more because it looks yeah, like she, she signed she up is, for the first leg of the tour from what I saw. She's a she, sleeper, man. Like she mm-hmm. could definitely pop up and get some big results. That's a that's a good call by you. Yeah, I, th- I think th- those are the three that I'm going to be looking at this year is Annika Ali Smith and Sayananda. I think those three are going to be ones to watch out for. People that have yes, I played seven events last year. Yeah, that's it. Seven, and, and, that's it. And she took like sixth or seventh at U.S. Seventh at U.S. Women's. U.S. Women's. Now she's not going to blow you out of the water with her distance, but her consistency is always there. And you're right. She. <laughs> I feel like she kind of moves around the course like a ninja too. She's just very, very quiet and smooth, and just gets the job done. And yeah, because the one gets in and out. the one that got me was in 2021 when I had never heard of her, and then she placed eighth at Worlds, mm-hmm. and that was when I think like I first heard the name Sayananda, and I was like, holy cow, like where did this come from? And but then, like I said, that was like one of only eight <laughs> events she played the entire year, and then last year she played seven, and, and like we said, she, she got that big result at U.S. Women. So, like you said, she signed up for a lot of events on this first leg, so. Sai could definitely be like a, a cool breakout player next year. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited. I really want to see her do well for for whatever reason. I she's maybe it's because she's so inconsistent playing. I always root for her when I do see her. I want her to win uh, or play well because it's just like I like to see. It harkens back a little bit to the to my youth and when you didn't have full time touring players. And you had the Barry Schultz and the Ken Climos who were weekend warriors and won. They were the best players in the world. But they had a full time job, and I kind of feel like that's where Sai was for the last few years. She was she would just pop in, she'd play really well, and then get out. And I so I always I always root for the, that type of player. Um, in general, it's the underdog story, you know the the player who doesn't dedicate their life to it, but is just that natural talent. So yeah, Sayananda, mark it down. If if you're if you are drafting for Skip Ace and you want to wait till the very end to pick up an FPL player, don't overlook Sai. Definitely not. What else do we got to talk about, Dust? It's been a kind of a quiet week. Uh, you and I kind of rattled through a few things before the show. Is there anything that I missed? Uh, let's see. Kind of looking through chat, we had uh, some like, what do we think the biggest storylines of twenty twenty three are going to be? Mm. Um, that's a that's an interesting one. We talked about a couple like players we think might be breakouts or or, or like names to keep an, an eye on. 
I think one of the biggest stories of 2023, this is like way out into the future, by the way. Mm -hmm. So like, I'm sorry, (laughs) but it's going to be the bidding war for Ganon Burr at the end of the year. That's going to be one of the big stories. That's the next big piece. If because Prodigy, I don't know what happened there, but notice that there was no announcement of a re-signing of Ganon Burr and his contract is up at the end of 2023. Mm-hmm. And I have never seen a kid more in my life built for disc golf than Gannon Burr. Uh, I mean, just like just like literally he was made for disc golf and obviously had a huge year last year. I, I think that will only continue because he's done school now. So kind of a similar situation to AB, like fully focused forward on disc golf. So I expect to see a lot more of Gannon Burr at the top. And then I expect to see a huge amount of like speculation and bidding going on to lock Gannon Burr up for 2024. Yeah, there's going to be some interesting pressure on Gannon. And I don't know if he's if he's conscious enough to feel it that this contract year is a is a huge deal for him. We're talking like lifetime changing money, possibly. You know, he's he's the type of player, like we said, with an AB that if you're prodigy you're talking to him right now about wrapping him up for next year. Like, and I, and I know he's got another year on his contract, so it's quite possible that they just kind of stepped back. I, I had heard rumors that Gannon had tried to not necessarily get out of his contract, but that there was talks of him moving either buyouts or whatnot. And I don't know how, again, these are rumors, so things can get blown out of proportion. So don't, don't take that with uh, more than a grain of salt, but the same thing we said about Kelvin last year is that this is the player that you build around. You, you, this is your premier player. This is your Discraft has Paul McBeth, DD has Ricky, Innova has Calvin. You know, at, we used to think that Prodigy had uh, had uh, KJ, but that's not the case. This is this is your player. This is the guy you you build your team around. He's really young. You try to sign him for a four to five year deal. And and you hand him a half million dollars or more. Yeah, it's I, tough I mean, because Prodigy is, in my opinion, almost worse than Innova when it comes to letting players go because, like, yeah, they had the big signing, like the re-signing of Kevin Jones. I think that was like maybe a year or two ago back when you started to see some of his original molds come out, like the reverb and the distortion and like that whole like line of KJ disc. But outside of that, it's it's been like nothing but losses like they've had some of their young talent that they had like kind of rise up and break out you know obviously getting a huge year last year isaac robinson huge year last year alton harris had his moments last year so like they almost got i'm gonna uh, lucky as a company that like some of their like younger players just like stepped up and started getting results and like kind of put prodigy on the map a little bit but let's be honest like they haven't really ever filled any of the voids of people that they have lost over the years like they have not filled the void in FPO of the loss of Katrina Allen or the fact that Heather Young is still kind of I don't know what's going on with Heather Young actually. Um, but I'd like, love to know. I, I just just out of curiosity, I, I'd love to know sure. what she's what she's doing. Is is she working mm-hmm. uh, a, a corporate gig somewhere? Is, is she you know <laughs> what what is what is Heather Young's life like right now? Because I've, right. I've I follow up every little while on social media and nothing's been updated or anything. So I, I would just out of cu- pure curiosity i want to know what's going on sure. they're young but you're right then then obviously dickerson on the mpo side was mm-hmm. a big loss you know the previous year to discraft so it's like they they've taken nothing but l's as far as like people leaving their company and they haven't like other than just by virtue of the fact that the contract length is still there 
So they haven't had to do anything in that regard other than maybe enforce a buyout if some other company was interested this offseason. Um, they, they haven't really made a big move. Uh, so this would be the time to do it. Like mm-hmm. Lock, Gain, and Burr in. I was shocked that it wasn't announced. Like I thought for sure that Prodigy... And, I, and I'm going to say this. If, if Gannon was the one who said no and wants to wait, then props to you, kid, because that was the right call. Because like right now... Like your stock is soaring. Like let it keep going. Let it keep going. Let it rise up. Like I, I think whether it was him, his parents, or if he has an agent, the smart move on them not to not to resign for Prodigy. That's a tough one that you didn't get that one done in the off season. That that one's gonna sting. Yeah, you're betting on your Gannon is betting on himself at this point because that's if a he smart bet. if he comes out and you know school's done, literally his sole focus is disc golf now. That's all mm-hmm. he needs to think about. Um, if he comes out and doesn't perform this year, it's going to cost him money, period. Is he a flash in the pan? No, I don't think no. so. But you can see that somebody might be hesitant depending on, I mean, he's a young kid. He's 18 years old, I think. Who? Yeah. I don't think he's 17. I think he's 18 now. Um, Who? Gannon, right? 18? He's younger than that. Is he 17 then? Yeah, I think he's like 17, yeah. Is he, is he still 17? Okay. Yeah. 17, 17 or 18, either way, he's, yeah, because he graduated. So, uh, re- regardless, he's so young that you have to wonder. I, I don't think, again, I don't think he's walking away from the sport. He sees his potential. He sees the money. You, you can see the dollar signs coming for him. I mean, he, he is a, a he, he's looking like a generational player that you're going to want to keep for the next 10 years. Now, whether that happens... We'll see whether somebody else steps up and snags him. I don't know. There are other companies that I think could really use a Gannon Burr if Prodigy can't re-sign him. I I could see a Discmania reaching out and grabbing him. Yep, that's the one. I'm thinking if it's not Prodigy, my bets would be either Discmania to fill back the void Mm -hmm. of having lost Simon, and I think they'll have the money to do it because if their rumors are true about them getting a buyout for Simon... Because that has been speculated. If that's true, and the fact that they didn't spin big this offseason, right? They re-signed Ella. They re-signed Cynthia. I think Kyle had already been re-signed the yep. year prior. So they didn't spend any money. Supposedly, they got buyout money. They, yeah, so they, they got the a million dollars. A million the money dollars is there to go get Gannon Burr, right? The other company that I think should be looking at, again, is Latitude 64. Because they don't have a marquee guy, in my opinion. Not a like, U.S. person. No, no, they, they don't. Th- this might be like the optimal time because I know Latitude is kind of starting to build up their U.S. presence. They got exactly. Seth Fenley now on that, who was part of the Disc Golf Pro Tour, working as a full time employee. I don't know what he's doing as far as team aspect goes, but disc. I mean, Discmania is it makes sense, but this is also Eagle contract year. You know, can yep. you can you come out with an eagle and a Gannon Burr in the same year? Sign because they're both they're both young. I think mm-hmm. Eagle is only twenty three or twenty four, mm-hmm. and that that's a guy that you want to sign for probably five to seven years. You're I would one- imagine Eagle is the bigger priority, but like if you could pull both, and like yeah, I think that I think the talks at least happen. Yeah. Um, but I would personally like to see Latitude also get in on that mix, just because again they don't have that marquee player. Um, and as you noted, they are expanding their U.S. presence a little bit. Yeah, um, I mean, it, it would make sense for Latitude to try to make a 
a move if they and as i say if they have the money we know they have the money because they're 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 minting everybody's discs right now you know those they're they're <laughs> they could easily just put a slowdown on some people's discs in order to Wait, get to jvd you mean that italian sea line isn't oh never it's mind. not really italian it's not it's really not italian. italian right it's, it's <laughs> i mean not. it might it it might somehow travel through italy the plastic might from <laughs> somewhere to but no it's not italian um uh, unless somebody's eating pizza next to the 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 you know the molding machine, it's it's not very Italian. No, it's definitely not. It's very <laughs> much not. But yeah, so that that's kind of the potential for those two. I think Gannon and Eagle are both going to be big news for 2023. Figuring out what's going to go on with them, uh, I'll be interested to see if because you know I, I don't know how long Kevin. I'd have to look at the at one of the trackers to find out how long Kevin's deal is. But I do know that the Kevin deal. Um, the rumors are the Kevin deal kind of had an influence on some of the players that left prodigy mm-hmm. in that the uh, prodigy put a lot of, a lot of stock into Kevin Jones and he's didn't through 2025 ne- through 2025. Okay. So he's got two more years then technically through um, that. They put a lot of stock in Kevin Jones and didn't have necessarily what they wanted for your Chris Dickerson for your Katrina Allen. And, and that maybe caused a little sourness inside the team and which is why we saw some people some people move and and again you can't blame kevin for that you know kevin got his bag man that's that, that's what you want to do yeah for sure so so we'll Not see fair. if prodigy you know if prodigy wants to continue and, and and push if kevin if they feel like kevin is the the poster boy or if they want to you know tr- try to gr- get your alden harris or your because I, I think isaac might be up this year too because Isaac's yep. on a one year one year deal. We yeah, we interviewed him a few weeks ago. He's on a one year deal. So Prodigy's in a position where they might have some money freed up and they might have a, a few players to go after. So mm-hmm. it's it's gonna yeah, be a absolutely. you know, it's gonna be a wild off season next year for some of these young guys, unless they get signed early on. Unless we see like a July or October uh yep. signing to say an extension, so to speak. There's also but, one guy slightly older who's on their contract year this year that uh, we should talk about in this regard. And that is Matty O yeah. contract up with Westside at the end of this year. And look, I get it. Like that one's tougher because I think he is like 32 or 33 years old, but the man is still a consistent top performer. <laughs> and I'm a little biased. I'm just go ahead and come out and I, say it. I'm a I know Matty O <laughs> we're from the same County. You know, we we play together. We talk all the time. But the reality of the situation is the man is currently ranked number seven in the Udis World Rankings. He's a consistent top five contender at almost every tournament he plays at, no matter what style of course it is. He's actually gotten better, I would argue, last year. His distance is higher now. Um, His putting game is is well-rounded. And the other big thing about Matteo is that no one doesn't like Matteo. Like, everyone likes him. Like, every single person, like, finds his quirky personality. Like, they, they love it. Like, they, they, mm-hmm. they suck it up. Like, any piece of content that's out there that Matteo's on, it's gold. Like, it's all over the Disc Golf subreddit. Uh, it's, it's talked about everywhere. Um, anytime he's a part of a skins match or he's on coverage, you never know what the guy's going to do or what he's going to say. He doesn't know what he's going to do or he's going to say. But whatever <laughs> it is, it inevitably winds up being entertaining or funny or both. Uh, while also being an absolute like consistent performer, um, he has that golden combination of not only being able to like, you know, contend for every title, but also be that personality. 
The only problem with Matt has been that he isn't that guy that's going to be super active on social media. So you need someone kind of behind him kind of doing that for him, whether that be uh, like an agent or whether that be like a social media manager, like someone just needs to follow Matty O with the camera and post that on Instagram all the time. Like that, that this needs to be somebody's job because he's gold. He's content gold. So uh, I, I do think that he is going to be one that I, I will be curious to see what kind of happens with him this year. If he can kind of keep up the performance levels, if West side or someone finds a way to market him better, to get because he's not going to do it himself like but to get behind him on social media to get him out there more um and, and then kind of see where it goes from there so that that's like one other contract that's up at the end of the year that i think will be interesting to see because i think he's probably got like one more big contract left in him uh if you're just going by age and so uh certainly wishing the best for him yeah he might have that uh he might have that four three to four year contract left in him because we've seen that the sport you know can it, it you don't necessarily lose the skills when you start to hit those ages. You know, Matty O is already 33. He's been doing this. Like I said, if you want to go back and look at him in the final four with Nate Doss back in like 2000 and whatever, the video's out there somewhere. And Matty Owen is, is I think it was a Derek Jeter Jersey. Um, <laughs> at the, it's, it was such a different time, man, such a different time. Um, but he's out there and he's been around forever. And, you know, I saw Matty O when he was a, literally a child. Like he, he, I'm, I'm ten years older, ten plus years older than him, and I, I remember seeing him when he was seven or eight years old out there because we were, uh, we went, Terry and I went down to Alabama for spring break, and we, one of the guys we wanted to see was Jim Orem, Sky South. He was a big seller back in the day, and you know, and so we went into Jim's house which looked like a mini warehouse and there's little Matty O running around. And at the time it was just this annoying little kid who's eight years old. You know, Terry and I are like 18, 19 years old, kind of checking out, uh, you know, as 18 or 19 year old kids do in, in college on spring break, we're checking out some weird old man's warehouse um, and playing disc golf tournaments. But yeah, little Matty O running around. I've got a soft spot for him as well. Like double, same thing with double G when we went down to Florida the next year and double G was, you know, you know, uh, three foot two and throwing 450 feet. Both of those guys to me have, uh, have a, have a soft spot in my heart, but I think Matty O, he doesn't do anything that is crazy flashy as far as distance, which is why I think his game can hold up for another few years. He's not, he's not like an Eagle that, that puts so much torque on his body. Matty O is all that curl and spin and I don't see a lot of knock on wood. I don't see a lot of potential for big injury risks with Matty O. No, like I like I can with some of these guys, like a Gannon, who are crushing forehands and Eagle, and you know, or or Kelvin, who puts so much torque on his ankle and his shoes that you just <laughs> think that something's going to break. But that was that. the crazy thing about Matt is he actually added distance last year mm-hmm. at 32 years old, um, which not many people probably knew that, but like he saw it we all noticed it like the guy was throwing about 50 feet further last year than he had ever thrown before uh and he still got i think i mean the big thing he's known for is carving lines in the woods like that that's his Mm -hmm. thing he's very good at that and you know and then his putting is also you know top notch so yeah i think that uh either west side needs to re-sign that man because i feel like he fits that brand so well like that that's the thing it feels like a great exactly everything about it feels great yeah it's hard to see him it's well it's funny because it's hard to see for me in my mind matty o anywhere else um, 
well, it's hard. It's hard for me to see Matty O anywhere because I don't think because of his social media presence. So he doesn't to me fit into a brand particularly. I, I know places he doesn't seem like he fits. Like I, I wouldn't. I can't imagine a Matty O at Discraft for some reason. Like that just doesn't seem that doesn't that doesn't vibe or fit. If Discraft wants to offer the guy a bunch of money, by all means take it. But that just it's not a uh, it's not a match made in heaven. Is kind of how I feel. But a mm-hmm. West Side. Um, a latitude might work out maybe an Innova depending on what they want to do. But it feels like Innova isn't looking to invest in someone that age. They should be looking young. They should, they in theory should be looking younger than that. If you're looking at picking up talent, um, I think it would be like a trilogy resigning of some sort, or it would be like maybe an infinite or, you know, something along those lines, I think, or would be the ones that make the most sense. But um, I I still personally think he's got several more years left in him as a player. And I think that just based on his personality, if you can just like craft it in the right way, like he could have a future elsewhere in disc golf past being a player um, if it's guided, you know, because, again, he doesn't really seem to have like the the push to do it himself. But I think Mm. if someone kind of got behind him and like figured it out, um, you know, I think he's someone that we'd love to have around the sport for a long time. Um, Well, as long as Nick Saban keeps coaching, I think uh, (laughs) Matty O will keep playing. Um, there you go. Coming up this week, actually, um, as we get ready for the DGBT All-Stars, which we mentioned earlier, is the 2023 All-Star Draft. Um, I'm looking at the Disc Golf Pro Tours YouTube page, and right now they have, uh, it says the 2023 MPO All-Star Draft. I don't know if that's going to be MPO and FPO, if it's just a labeling thing, or if uh, or if I heard that they were going to do drafts separately um, for MPO and FPO, two different times, but that is going that right now is scheduled for uh, February 10th at 6 p.m. Uh, so I believe that's Central Time. I think this is local to me, so you can kind of go on to their YouTube page and hit the Notify Me button if you're interested in watching the draft. I know we we broadcast it last year; it was kind of chaotic, but I believe they've got a, a little bit better method this year, and it could be a little bit more fun. So, if you're looking at who's going to be, you know, on each All Star team, last year's All Star event was really exciting. It turned out um, with with some really fun competition at the end, and Eagle hitting a really huge, huge putt to you know to to push that. Um, by all means, go ahead and tune into the 2023 MPO All Star Draft. Uh, that was it. Look, this Friday. So if today's the seventh, Wednesday, th- yeah, this Friday. Okay, three days from now uh, at 6 p.m. Yeah. Speaking of Eagle, that's going to be a crazy story this year, isn't it? Like, since we're talking storylines for 2023, like you can't think of a crazier roller coaster ride than Eagle McMahon. Like, comes in, expected to be a top five player, gets injured, gone, comes back wins the European Open in blistering fashion, gone again, had kind of a struggle at Worlds, but now this is the offseason that supposedly gets him back healthy, but how healthy has he been able to get between now and when he steps on that first tee box? Um, because obviously we know what a meteoric talent he can be, but like, is the forehand back? Are we going to see more lefty backhand? You know, Can he be top five again? Like, That's going to be an awesome story to follow throughout this year. I'm yeah I'm I I get the just the rough feeling that we're gonna see less eagle forehands, Probably. not that we're not gonna see any, but we're gonna see less than we have in the past. I think he's gonna rely a little bit more on his turnover shots, maybe a little bit more on his lefty than we've seen. Uh, he normally I think we saw him pull that out at European Open two or three times around, maybe twice around, uh, just in general. And that's it's funny watching what he did even at the all-star last year 
with with his lefty versus you know shots where he would normally be throwing just a little pitch up forehand he avoided last year and it cost him strokes you could see it you could see how uncomfortable eagle is with a 150 foot backhand turnover shot at least he was you know he's had a lot of time to sit and practice it where if you're so used to being able to walk up and just flick a disc 150 feet and be within 15 those touch backhand anheuser shots are it's it's a shot that i think we're slowly i don't say losing in the game but it's way less relied upon than it used to be when people didn't throw both ways and so to to see our players have to maybe think about their health and hopefully get these touch shots a little bit more dialed in a little bit better um, is going to be interesting, especially on Eagles part. I, I hope, obviously we hope nothing but the best for his health. I saw a post on Instagram today where he was playing with his ball and stick, flipping it around and doing all sorts of things. So he looks happy. He looks healthy and, and, and I hope he can perform as well as he wants to. Cause that, like we said, man, this is his contract year. This is the spot. This is the chance for him to prove that he's going to be worth it for the next five years because he's got a big dark cloud over his head from the last couple of years being injured, whether it was his hand, whether it was his shoulder, whether it's an elbow, whatever it might be, he needs to prove that he can last an entire year or that not to say he's not going to sign a big contract, but that dollar value that could be one extra zero. <laughs> that, that could be definitely an extra zero here or there for for him to do that yeah i mean i, I certainly wish him the best and i think that at the very least he probably has that like 250 and then forehand probably dialed and like i would imagine it feels super safe with that because that's not a whole lot of elbow anyway that's more wrist flick than anything so i think that that's probably going to be back but yeah it will be interesting to see like how does he attack these left to right moving shots that pushes over 350 feet like do you trust it, or are you going to go into the backhand? I do think that, at the very least, he was probably forced to develop some skills uh, and gain some experience doing some different types of throws with the backhand last year because of the injury, which might make him a well-rounded player long-term because he was forced to do that. Um, but I do think that, I mean, I can't know his psyche on how timid he will be stepping up to the tee, you know, tournament on the line, I need to throw a 400-foot forehand. Do I trust it? You know, like that, that's going to be like the big question mark if he gets put in a situation like that. Um, but it does seem like he's dedicated to trying to make it happen. I mean, he changed his diet. He's like obviously going through rehab and, and doing all these different things to try to be at his best. Uh, and we know he's got the skills. So it's just about can he stay healthy and can he has he had a good enough recovery during the offseason? Because if he did, that just makes the parody of MPO even more interesting. Cause that's one more player on the board now that can win any week. <laughs> it's just it's amazing because I think like it's it's hard to win when you're not competing. But Eagle kind of throws that out the window. He showed it last year at the European Open. I don't think people understand how crazy that was. I, I, I really don't. Like, I don't think people appreciate the, how bonkers that is, really. Like, I'm, I'm sure people are like, wow, that is impressive. But it's actually absurd that he was able to do that. Mm hmm. Especially the types of out. shots he was able to not have in his bag and still win and to do it. And that, I mean, they were light years ahead of everyone else yeah. by the end of the tournament. Hands like, down. It was ridiculous. The, they were playing a different tournament than everybody else. Yeah. 
<laughs> it's, it, that must it, have been some of the biggest separation we saw all year, and maybe for a while, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that, that was ludicrous what Eagle did that tournament. And, I mean, it's not like, here, here's what I'll say. Eagle knows how to compete. And it's not like Eagle wasn't playing at all going up to that event. He just wasn't playing tournaments. Um, he clearly was playing and practicing, and he's had years of experience in the spotlight. So, uh, so for him to for him to come out and play the way he did to me isn't extremely shocking. It's shocking how much better he played than every other player. Like that's that is amazing. Like had he had he come out and played and competed and was in a neck and neck with every player, like amazing. That's a great that's a great sign. But the fact that it came out and him and Paul just, just again, like I said, played their own tournament. They didn't have to think about another player. It was a heads up match going into that final round. And the the way they elevated and separated themselves is truly epic. It really, it really is. And it makes me want to almost go back and watch that particular event again. Um, And I don't do that very often. I mean, imagine being Paul Macbeth shooting two rounds over 1080 rated having your worst round be 1051 rated and you still lost the tournament. Yeah. That's just how incredible Eagle played. Like he beat mm-hmm. Paul like in prime mode, like 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 McBeast mode Paul throwing up bonkers ratings mm-hmm. and he still beat that guy. That's how well he played with one arm. <laughs> I mean like I said, like people will have to look back on that I think years from now and just have to realize like that might be one of the most incredible tournament win stories ever it is definitely crazy um i'm I'm looking right now someone had said that there was an event that this weekend that own scoggins did own scoggins win an event this weekend the la mirada open yeah february 4th and 5th that was this past weekend we so there is. I think this Maria. is. Yeah, this is a uh, a B tier. So it's not a big event. That's why I probably missed my uh, my sights. And we saw Jacob Curtis Cupcake win this one. He had shot a thirteen under par. Luke Sampson shooting a twelve under par. Chris, this is the one that Jackie Chen came in for as well, I believe. This is the one that Jackie Chen came in for. He is. It, uh, I don't know. I was talking about FPL players to watch. He's one of my MPL players to watch. Um, he's. 995 rated right now i think 994 rated i'm looking and i feel like he's not he came out with such a a fervor last year because he had he, he debuted at 1040 he he shot like four or five phenomenal rounds i think three of them were counted in that first rating and then he kind of came back down to earth but i believe he's a better player than 994 Sure. I think he's one of those players that he he came over to the U.S. last year and he it, it was probably a culture shock. That's mm-hmm. a difficult transition to come from playing such small events to the big spotlight. And so I believe he's a better player than 994. So in, in the little article I wrote, I kind of just mentioned I don't expect him to be competing for wins this year, mm-hmm. but. If you want a value pick, someone that you can get at 994 and he's going to play 1015, 1020, maybe 1030 rated golf, he's the he's one of the guys you look at. He's right. he's kind of your sleeper, um, very similar to like an Ali Smith or a Sayananda, where you're you're looking at their rating and you're gonna get a better player than what their rating says right now. It wouldn't shock me if 
you know, he's, I think he's only scheduled through like the first few, uh, he's, he's not scheduled for anything past Vegas. So I don't know what his plan is. So kind of keep an eye on that. I think last year Vegas is the only pro tour of any played. It might've been, I don't know what his, I don't know what his deal is. I would love to see him tour more and play more because I think he could, he could really shine there. Um, but yes, Jackie Chen came in. He took seventh place. Like I said, 994 shot about a thousand and ten rated golf. It looks like uh, if I look at that, a thousand and nine and a thousand seventy. So about a thousand fifteen rated golf. Uh, beating, beating Peter McBride, uh, Andrew Miranda, Noah Jackson, and Gavin Babcock, who are all on tour right now. Um, and then you go over to the pro women, which we were speaking of, and you're right. Own Scoggins wins by five strokes over Maria Oliva. And Hannah Stevanovich. I think I nailed that one. Nice. Um, as well as tied with third place with Violet Maine. So own Scoggins, I would say probably not. And, and I don't, it's hard to say because you look at the last round. Her, her last round was 936. She shot two rounds. First one, 991. You look at it and you think, all right, cool. This is, she's right on pace to continue doing what she did last year. And then she comes out with a 936. But it's La Mirada. It is a unique course where um, it, it's one of those early courses. So she might have been able to walk it in at the end. You don't, you're don't. you not exactly sure what's going on. So I, it's hard to judge that final round of 936 when you know she already had such a lead on the field. She went into that round with a nine-stroke lead over Maria Oliva. So she might have maybe took her foot off the gas a little bit. I wouldn't put too much stock in a 936 round for Own Scoggins other than her rating. You know, that's that's the thing that sucks is that you can you're you're penalized for your rating when you can kind of walk it in. But ultimately, as we know, nobody cares about ratings. <laughs> nobody at that level cares about ratings. They care about the money and the win. So that's right. Um, yeah. So La Mirada, a, f- a fun event um, out there in uh, La Mirada, California. Home of the uh, kind of one of the home courses of the Legacy Boys. Steven Rico, Steven Bamba Rico. They they're kind of they're they're known in that area. But this one is the La Mirada Open Pro driven by Innova. So congratulations to Cupcake in the MPO and Own Scoggins on the FPO. Anything That's else? Another th- one though. Uh, yeah, go I was ahead. Just saying like we talked about like 2023 storylines. Keep an eye mm-hmm. on. Uh, I was going to kind of wrap up MPO just by saying, like, can some of these, like, breakout performers keep it up? Like Isaac and Alden and, you know, some of these guys like that. Um, but for the FPO side, can Kristen do it again? Like, can she have another year like that? Or will we see some of these breakout players like Holland Hanley and Valerie Mandahano, you know, be able to challenge her more? Or, you know, are we going to see, like, Paige return with some vigor next year because she still has that... Paige is such a weird case for me because, <laughs> like, on the one hand, she seems like she has that fire that she wants to chase that major record. Like, that's something that she wants. And, like, you know, there's that whole, like, line in the documentary where she says that, like, she doesn't feel like she's the best. She has to win that next world to be the best, like, to have the most. And so you have that side of Paige. But then you have the other side of Paige that you hear in interviews where she makes it sound like she doesn't care. Or, or I'm sure she cares, but like you, you get what I mean. Like mm-hmm. the, that, that the same fire isn't quite behind what she says sometimes. Like in, in in other interviews that you'll see, where she's like more about kind of like just playing, having fun, enjoying herself, and and those are all valid things, by the way. Like I'm not, you know, she's happy. Criti- exactly, yeah, and that hurts her. So, like honestly, yeah. like, I think so that it's, hurts, it's a weird one that hurts any athlete. 
happiness. Yeah. And, right. and I know it's maybe not happiness, contentness. I think contentness is the word I'm looking for, not happiness. I want all my athletes to be happy, but contentness, I think, has hurt Paige a little bit. And we'll see what happens. She just got back from a trip over in, uh, I think, Thailand and Malaysia. And so she's back. She made a post yesterday or today saying how she's really excited for the 2023 season. You know, she's going to start. She's now she's starting to train and tour and practice and get ready for this upcoming season. Um, yeah. And I mean, it's not like her last season was bad. I no, mean, she had God, no. She but won I think two majors. She had some other wins, some other top she five. said it herself. She's missing the fire. Like, yeah, she has kind of. <laughs> and I, I, I put a little of this on Paul Macbeth as well. The fire just isn't there for the regular season. Like we used to, the pro tour used to be for, 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 I'll say not used to, for these two players used to be awesome. They would get up for these events because they mattered so much the first few years. I feel like the pro tour is, doesn't matter to them as much anymore and that they are focused on the majors. Like the pro tour is like, an A minus to them and the majors are an A plus. They care about those majors. That's where they get their fire. We we saw last year Paul Macbeth kind of felt like he, you know, if he showed up to a he he wants to win and he gets upset when he doesn't, but he doesn't put forth the effort like he does at the majors. You there's a hands down difference in a Paul Macbeth at a major than a Paul Macbeth anywhere else. And I kind of feel like Paige has that same mentality where she just it's hard for her to care as much about the about the the events week after week in week out than it is to get that major record. And so I think right. she kind of has this and I think there's a lot of behind the scenes personal stuff with her as well. Finding, you know, uh buying a house, you know, getting married, all these things that she's done now. Yeah. And and finding a little bit of, I know she's always had a kind of contentious relationship with her with her family, with her dad and This, I think they're in a good place. And I think that maybe just took a little bit of the drive out of her. And I think she needs to find a different chip on her shoulder as I feel like a lot of, a lot of athletes maybe it's that or just maybe falling like that, that like mental health, like, Mm -hmm. like a balance. Right. Because I know obviously, you know, last year she had like the whole like Hawaii thing and like doing the off season in Hawaii, almost bought property there and she got recharged. Like she used the off season to recharge her mentality, to rest, to, you know, kind of get back. And what happens? She hits the ground running, right? Mm-hmm. She, she takes second at Vegas. She winds up winning back to back events at Texas States in, in the champions cup, winning the first major of the year. But then it's like when the drag of the season kind of starts calling around, that's when it felt like, that recharge that she got during the off season, like she, she kind of ran through that and then it kind of got to the, the nitty gritty of like the grind of the season. And you wonder if that plays into it. Um, and so that kind of leads me to believe that she probably could have another strong start. Not to mention that there are some people who are injured. Like, isn't Kristen sidelined for a bit? Like she's going to have a later start to the season. Yeah. Tatar won't be, I don't think she's coming over until after Waco, I think. Yeah. So after the Texas might- swing, some people are going to get some head starts is kind of what I'm getting at before Kristen gets back into the swing of Which, things. It's I, I can't wait because I know we, we're, we're all media and we all talk about this. And I, I try to keep Terry and I in general. It's not our our purview, like the whole um, sports radio kind of talk. There are other podcasts that do that way better than we do, I feel. But there's going to be a, a swell of talk that 
if Paige Pierce comes out hot this season, all the talk is going to be, look at how Kristen well Paige there. does when Kristen Tatar isn't there. Right. Even if, even if Paige Pierce comes out and shoots 10-20 golf and would have yep. blown Kristen Tatar out of the water, it doesn't matter. There's going to be that talk that Paige can only win when Tatar isn't there. And until we get them both heads up, it's just that noise is going to be there and that's a fair opinion to have right it, like it's it fair to be like you know is it, like what happens when they get back head to head again like that is mm-hmm. going to be an interesting story yep. and and that's and that kind of goes back to like the drive for page like is the fact like okay so going into last year before Kristen like hit her run where she was just podium and everything mm-hmm. and she was winning a bunch again the year started with page with back-to-back wins and grabbing the first major so at that point in time Paige was still considered the best FPO player in the world. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until much later in the year after Tatar just had a record-breaking year, basically, and in all senses, wins, money, you name it. You know, this is the first time where Paige is going into a year where she's not considered the best player in FPO, like at least for a long time. Like she has been considered the GOAT of FPO by a lot of people for a very long time. And I do wonder if that does that fire for her that like she's coming into this year like not like in that role like she's kind of coming in like not as a dark horse but i mean she's still a favorite like but she's she's not considered number one right now yeah um you're i was gonna say you're right everybody looks at her as number two in the world right now and my slightly hot take is that Paige pierce is still a better player at the top of her game than tatar is if they're both Mm. if they're both playing we'll just say their best games I will take Paige Pierce. The problem is Paige Pierce hasn't hit the top of her game in a while. Uh, and to, that, to, that's to, a Tatar tough is one. so consistent. Like the uh, Tatar is like an A all the time. Paige uh, Pierce is like a B, an A plus, a B minus. Right, would you see like just Paige Pierce has more distance. Paige Pierce has a better long putt. Paige Pierce does not have the forehand that Tatar has, though. That is where Kristen. That's what I was going to ask you. Like, who's the more versatile player in your opinion, though? Because that I think that's Tatar. Oh, for that's sure. Tatar. Yeah, that's Tatar is more versatile. Like, I think you could put Tatar in almost any location, and she'll find a solid way to get out. Uh, she mm-hmm. she has a shot for almost everything. I don't believe Paige has that. But I yeah, think, like I would. I mean, it's obvious that Paige has more distance. Yep. The putting one is debatable. At this point, if you're just looking at current form from last year, like maybe in the clutch, you still trust Paige more. But like, no, just no, honestly, I don't. Sets? No, okay. no, hell no. Okay, in the clutch, so I, the other I, way. I trust Tatar in the clutch. Like you, okay. you give you give someone a the, the, Paige has a a blaring weakness, and I've said it for years. Her weakness is a hundred feet, it be, and I see it because I see it in me. It's the same weakness I have. It's too far for like almost like. Maybe it's a little further than that. We'll say 130 feet. It's almost too far for a jump putt, but you you, you have this weird throw that you can't put everything into it. And if Paige, I, I've again, if you've listened to the podcast, I've said it for years. Paige has a problem dialing down. She has a problem if she's not going all out. Her release point, her her consistency isn't there. Like mm-hmm. just. You saw it at Worlds when she lost to Katrina. She had an easy up and down, but it was right in that spot that just wrecks her. Where you can't, you have to have a little bit of touch. You have to have it. And she doesn't have that. She just, there's, that's the, if there's a, 
there's a tiny part of Paige Pierce's game that's missing, and that's it right there. That that spot, and it bitter, it bitter hard that <laughs> two years ago, like yeah. I would, I would just say this. Like, I think that we agree that Tatar is the more versatile player. Mm-hmm. Um, we both agree, obviously, Paige has the distance. We both agree that Tatar has the forehand that Paige clearly lacks. Um, I think their putting is pretty similar, man. Like, I don't know that, like, I can really just say, like, outright this person's a better putter than the other. Like, I think their circle one, circle two percentages are, like, pretty close. Yeah, I would um, take I would take Tatar. But you could also go accuracy cir- argument, too. Yeah, I would take Tatar in circle one, but I would take Page in circle two. If That's I had, probably fair. If, if I, like, and they're, they're close, but if I had but you're to you're taking Tatar on hitting fairways, too, mm-hmm. I think. Like, she's definitely the more accurate player. Um, and that probably is because she has more options to go to as far as what type of throw she, she can do to be in the fairway. Yep. Um, so I, I think like I'm just saying I think it's debate. I think it's more debatable it's, than than you're saying about Paige being the clear cut like higher well, ceiling. Or I would never say clear cut. I just okay. again, and my my opinion is that at the top of their games, I think Paige wins. Um, if you're looking at uh, almost a mistake, it's hard to say mistake free because they're probably going to shoot the exact same thing, but. It, when you when you are looking at someone who is in their quote unquote beast mode, I think Paige just edges her out a little bit. But if if you're going to ask me who's going to finish in the top five more this year, I'm going to say Tatar all day long. Like okay. I, I I just think that it's a <laughs> again Paige's top gear is a I think it's just a touch higher than Tatar's. I I have never and maybe it's just her culture or European. I've never seen Tatar. Maybe she never has has had to. I've never seen her have to kick into that gear. I've never seen her upset. I've never seen her drive. Like she doesn't look like she has a passion, so to speak, a Nico style. Like she she doesn't get super excited on the course. I've seen Paige. She's a cold blooded killer. That she thing. is. She She's is. Cold, man. And I, listen, I here's the thing. For I wouldn't want to go up against give, her. Hell no. Tatar is is you know, and and, and that's maybe. And part look, of she it. did all this last year while injured. By the way, like people don't factor that in enough. Like we don't. Yeah. I, mean, I don't know how injured she was, but exactly. Like, I don't know. How she clearly she was. had something going on because she clearly had to have surgery this off season. Mm-hmm. So we know that she took time off last year due to the elbow. She apparently got it to some point where it was okay to keep playing it wouldn't do any further damage mm. I, I i couldn't really like get the real translation there of like what that meant but the point is is she wasn't even theoretically a hundred percent last year and still did what she did so that's mm. grit in my opinion yeah maybe i don't not, know maybe not like the fiery expression of passion correct but she definitely has the grit like, yeah she she in, has in the drive opinion. she has she definitely has the drive to to win i mean it it just goes and shows you that based on how she did last year um, and again, maybe it's maybe it's a cultural thing that I'm so used to seeing American players who get feisty, who get like sure. visibly angry. And I've you know, I've watched Paul more than a handful of putters have lost their lives to Paul Macbeth <laughs> folding them, you know, just into quads. Just I watch them fold them up and they're done, you know. I, I, OK, see you later, putter. I guess nobody wanted that putter. Um, and so maybe it's maybe it's a slightly different thing overseas where you just don't see that sort of um enthusiasm for the, for for your game or how you feel like you should be shooting but again then again maybe she didn't have to because she was always in it uh, l- let me see a Kristen Tatar who's in sixth place going into a final round or seventh place and see uh see if she has that or or when things aren't going her way 
because it didn't seem like that happened very often last year to her credit. Things went her way because she played very well. It's Fair a, point. A, 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 amazing. It's either way. We're going to see some really great play from I'm hoping Paige Pierce, Kristen Tatar when she finally shows up. The the other two Europeans, Henna and Evelina. Um, I mean, we can't forget about Katrina Allen, who's still at the top of her game, you know, mm-hmm. and probably Katrina is probably in better shape than any of them. You know, even I know Tatar's been working out quite a bit, but uh, we know that uh, Katrina Allen's a gym rat. She's she's mm-hmm. proven it and she's in better shape than most of the men on tour. She's in better shape than I think every woman on tour other than maybe Holland Hanley. But that I think it's a different type of shape. Holland Hanley's more of that power lifter, the strength training. Mm-hmm. Katrina Allen is probably a little bit more all around uh, gym person, you know, yeah, just general fitness. To tie into that, there's so many names like in FPL that you feel like had the potential just to flip the switch and like be a big winner. Yeah. Like, like just to mention some names, Haley King is always someone that if like the stars align and if she's there and, and she's committed, she could win. Holland Handley and Valerie Mandahano have proven that they have that ability. Ella Hansen has that ability. I think Macy Vela Diaz, low key, is getting to a point where she's going to have that ability too potentially this next season. Um, I think Maria Oliva is a fantastic athlete um, that that has all of the skills to potentially run down a win if she can figure out the rest of her game. Yeah, so, Maria's. Like, there's Mar- so many potentials. Like there's so much potential in division is what I'm getting at. Yeah, everyone talks about how the talent Maria Oliva has, and I don't disagree with it. I just can't. She just can't seem to put it together, and I don't know mm-hmm. what that is. I, I don't know if it's a if it's a concentration, if it's a focus thing. I mean, she. She has a lot of skill. She throws a mile for the FPO field. And I just don't know why she's not in more contention. It feels like she is either in fifth place or 35th place. It's fair. And, and I need to see more out of Maria Oliva before I can put anything, any sort of uh, enthusiasm behind her. Yeah, I just like I, the potential that she, is in FPO for parody is, yeah. is huge. I, I love Maria Oliva's socials. I think she's she's hilarious and she's <laughs> she she's great. And I, I think she has a lot of potential, like you say. I just need to see a little bit more out of her before I I can put fair. I can put a lot of faith in anything in any of her uh, her rounds. I, you wouldn't. I would not pick her to podium right now. I wouldn't pick her to podium all year. Right. Like I, I, if you told me third place or better for every pro tour event, I would take the under. <laughs> yeah. So it's just, it's, it's just for me. Like if I look at the current mm-hmm. Udis world rankings, oh, it's. I think every player in FPO in the top fifteen could win an mm-hmm. event. Yeah. Like just you're, like if I'm right. just thinking of raw potential. So like it, it's actually pretty crazy. Like what could happen next year depending mm-hmm. on like who shows up in form. Um, I think there could be just. It's a whirlwind of different winners from that division. No, you're right. You're 100% right. Um, Ray Zerhausen has a question, and I, I don't know. We'll we'll talk. Maybe we'll talk about that in the after show. He's talking about a little bit about where do we see the sport going as far as gambling and betting on the uh, the pro tour and what we need to think about for players. Does e are there any policies in esports about players and gambling? There's got to be. 
Oh my goodness. We could, <laughs> okay, we well, could, oh we my gosh. could open up Pandora's box here. Listen, uh, there's been all kinds of problems with gambling in esports. We've gotten match fixing scandals in yep. esports. We've I vaguely remember that. People boosting people's accounts for money and getting mm-hmm. banned for doing that. Oh man, we've got we we've got all I mean, we got it all in esports as far as it's, like how betting can go wrong. But um it's, with all of that said, while there has been a ton of shady gambling that's gone on in esports over the years it started off with people gambling in-game items and then turned into like real money betting and that was a really crazy one because it's like there was no age restriction on someone betting an in-game cosmetic on a match and then translating that into money on some marketplace somewhere uh so anyway that is a big can of worms (laughs) but there is legitimate betting in esports as well sure like there are like legit ways that you can bet obviously it's the same type of thing with any other sports betting it's maybe region locked or age restricted or certain countries can do it certain states in the u.s can or cannot they, they follow very much the same guidelines as you know any other thing but there's also some some shady 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 stuff going on in esports with gambling still to this day yeah i can only imagine with you know when it comes to like digital goods and and just in general you've got things such as i mean cryptocurrencies and all that other crazy stuff that you just go uh, yeah that the gambling can can only be whatever and i i see here's what i know i know the disc golf pro tour is investigating getting into some sort of gambling not this year maybe next year and i don't know what that all entails i don't know if that means talking to vegas and getting it on the books i don't know if that is something um if they're working with a company like Prize Picks, uh, who does a little bit of that stuff over unders, you know, basically a bunch of parlays. But I do think that if it's not already out there, that the Pro Tour does need to, as Ray has had been asking, look at the players and probably have them sign something. Um, as far as a, uh, uh, I don't know what the best way to put this is. Some some sort of ethics mm-hmm. in playing because we could see. Well, you it would be difficult to. It'd be easy to throw matches in disc golf. Yes, you, you could easily do that. Throw a no, stroke or two. Yeah, stroke or two. And on top of that, I, I've put a lot of thought into this lately. Obviously, with skip ace and a lot of things, but getting gambling into disc golf is going to be difficult. And I say that for a couple of reasons. One, the statistics. We currently rely on volunteers to get all of our UDISC statistics. Circle one putts. Because if you're bringing gambling in, you're bringing in every sort of over-under you can imagine. Is You know, if, if I am a volunteer and I'm scoring, we'll just say Paul Macbeth on the fifth card. Well, we won't use Paul because he's always covered on camera. Chris Dickerson. On the fifth card. What's not to say that I, I don't maybe make a side bet as the scorer to say, eh, how many how many circle two putts is Chris going to hit this week? I can maybe pad that stat when they're close. Because what's Chris going to say? If, if he's sitting at a 30 footer and I mark that as a circle two putt. You know, hey, I, I can hit the over on that. You know, and, and it, it's and if it's not on camera, how many how many gambling books do you know that will rely on more or less word of mouth? A volunteer 
getting all these statistics. I think you're going to, we're going to have some issues with sports betting in that aspect. I don't see a problem with overall score. Like if you're, if you're going to bet on winners, losers, parlays, kind of like what, again, kind of like what prize picks does. I, I don't see a problem. Or if we're going to get into things like a, uh, a fan duel where you're just competing against other players for certain things, mm-hmm. you know, where you, where you pick a team and whatnot. I, I see that as working out. But when you start getting into individual gambling with on individual players, we're going to have some yeah. issues. And the second thing you're going to run into is um, if you're the pro tour is how do you monetize that? Because I'll say right now, the, the pro tour will have to monetize that through you disc because who's the only company that has all those stats, right? That's you disc. And there's so, a reason, there's a reason they yeah. have that. They, mm-hmm. they, there's a reason they're keeping that, you know, the, yeah. the, the pro tour is going to either have to come up with their own scoring system, similar to you disc. They're going to have to either, or lean on the PDGA to enhance their live scoring, or going to have to sign something with you disc that say that they get a cut as well as you disc, because Everyone's going to have to go to UDISC for these stats, which is a big reason I think UDISC is continuing to do the stats because they see po- a possible uh, monetary future line to be the Elias Sports of disc golf. Yeah. So, kind of my take on it is is I think anything outside of overall score and placement is like too risky to have any sort of betting going on because of what you've all said. Like, you don't know like how well these stats are being collected, how accurate they are, um, you know, potential chances that it can be tampered with because it's, it's volunteer based. Um, even if it's paid employees, still have to worry about that sort of thing. Like the stats aren't like auto generated. There are people out there logging it. Like it's not built in, like in a system that's easy to follow, like uh, a traditional sport, like basketball or football or whatever the case may be to try to get like those accurate numbers. So that's a big problem right there. And here's the other problem. This is the problem we ran into in esports is you run into a situation um, at a certain point where players can make more money throwing than they will doing well. And like where purses are at right now in disc golf on average. I mean, again, there's some outlier events out there that have huge money attached to it, but on average, if you're a, let's say, guy that rides kind of the bottom to middle of the cash line, and so maybe you're getting a few hundred dollars an event, what like, what stops you from throwing to get way more money Like, if you're involved in some type of like throwing for money scheme with a betting service, mm-hmm. especially when it's in its infancy, and so maybe things not all fleshed out policy-wise and legality-wise... Um, and, and there isn't protections in place to investigate things yet. Like you can run into a situation where unfortunately, like the prize money isn't high enough to, st- to deter people from doing that sort of thing. If anything, it motivates them. And that's what's happened in, in esports is that you were having semi pro teams were the biggest ones that were guilty of this, where like they weren't going to win the tournament. They weren't mm. going to like make a bunch of money, but they could throw a game and make a bunch of money. And and then that's where I worry a little bit about disc golf is just like where the money's at and like what potential money can be made in a in a schemey system it, it, like if things go that way so that's something you really have to think about I think yeah there's definitely going to have to be and it's going to be so hard to I would love to know how golf takes care of it because it's going to be so hard to monitor if if mm-hmm. we get into this aspect where you will be able to bet on individual players right. or because the top guys are making enough money where like they would never risk it. Yeah, it but doesn't make again, it doesn't make sense for those top. If you're bottom of the cash line guys. guy, it's a different story all of a sudden. Yeah, there's going to be temptations. That's 
for certain. And uh, so, so yes, Ray, that's kind of my take on, on the, on the gambling in the sport. I, I believe that there is room for some gambling. I believe that there sure. will be, it's, it's going to happen inevitably. Like I said, I, I hope at some point skip base gets to that point where we can either spin off or have our own kind of fan duel ish type uh, aspect where you can, you know, put, and guess what? It's you and 50 other people. You all put on buck and top half cash or top third or whatever it is, you know, just that type of mentality. I don't personally ever want to get into, um, I guess it's, I guess it's considered sports books where, you know, where you're, you're betting on props, which is, you know, yeah. your, your circle putts and this and that. I, I don't know where we're going to be until we can get cameras all over the course. Mm-hmm. And even then, it's a little more difficult because, like I said, if 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 you're starting to get those props, man, there's going to be a lot more influence on players uh, until we get a full paid staff that does stats exclusively. You know, until we have a a team of twenty people that are traveling tour to tour and doing this full time. I, I don't know. I don't know how it's going to be done. I'm sure it's been inspected. I'm sure there are things I'm not thinking of. Um, and when I say the pro tour is going to get into in, into some sort of sports betting and gambling or whatnot, it's been talked about for years. I just know that it's on the it's on the agenda for twenty twenty four. I think to actually maybe look into it more. And I don't even know what that means. That might I mean like that might that might not come to fruition for another two to three years. Of course. And, and here's the thing, like if you're disc golf pro tour, like the end game is non endemic sponsorships. Yes. Like that is like the name of the game to like grow the sport even more to like bump everything up. And guess what? One of the biggest non endemic sponsorships you can get is. And that is some types of sports books, some type mm-hmm. of gambling. It's either that or like a cellular service or a credit <laughs> card company or, you know, like you, know, you have to like start thinking about those types of things. And, and gambling is definitely one of the ones that comes up right away. And it's like one of the most natural ones as far as like, you know, like a symbiotic relationship where both parties are going to benefit in some mm-hmm. sort of way. Um, but like you like you, I think you've hit the nail on the head a lot. It's just like when it comes to prop betting, super scary. You know, we don't have a way to make sure we're getting accurate stats for all of that. And then again, you got to think about price per sizes and like. How far down the line are you going to allow betting to occur mm-hmm. where you don't run into risky situations like that? Um, so, yeah, like I do think it's only natural that it'll happen at some point, though. And, and fantasy is probably the safest way. Yeah, I think fantasy or DFS or whatever you want to call it, I think is the safest way to go to go about doing what we're going to be at some point doing in the next few years, whether that's through, you know, a, a, like I said, a service like Skip Ace or one of the other major huge services that will thing because there's there's a gentleman i know i I told this story a few years ago that is part of a different community uh for a pod a comedy podcast and he actually does the books in vegas for for one of the hotels and i reached out to him years ago and i said hey what does it take to get or what would it take to get disc golf on the books to actually be able to have lines and he had said it would take years of data as well as um a consistent tour because at the time, I think the Pro Tour was only maybe three years old, um, so that they can look at, hey, this course plays this for this type of player, so we know how to put lines on these guys. We know where it's going to be. We know, you know, we can adjust for this and that. And he basically said it would require a ton of data that we, I don't even know if we currently collect, you know. But with the combination of UDisc and Statmando 
and the pro tour and all these other things we're slowly getting there it's just a matter of time you know how does you know take take this year or uh or we'll just say next year if there's a new if there's a new spot on tour a new course how how do, how does a bookie judge that you know we saw prize picks just flail and miss hard on a few of the new courses for that first round um and then taking into account weather and whatnot and some of us made some decent cash doing that uh betting against the the numbers at prize pick so we'll we'll see how it goes in the future i hope i hope we continue to uh progress i, I think it can bring in a lot of extra external money all right dust i think we're gonna call it for the regular show tonight um we'll come back here for an after show so if you have any questions or anything please by all means uh post them to the board and this can be anything related to disc golf or not you know we've got a different voice on on the uh the podcast so if you have any questions uh that that maybe dust can answer um i've I've got a i think i asked him this question before but i got a different question for him i got the same question for him but we'll talk about it in the after show so um anyway uh thanks to dust for jumping in here when my regular co-host abandons us over in kosamui i think that's where he's at right now um this has been podcast episode 441 of the smashbox tv stick with us and we'll be back in just a few minutes for our after show have a good night guys and we'll see you soon Thank you to our $2 and above patrons. Your name is listed below in the credits. If you are interested in being listed as a producer in the Smashbox TV credits and supporting this and other fine podcasts, please visit patreon.com slash Smashbox TV. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.